0: Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast. Happy Christmas, Happy Saint Stephen's Day, Happy Boxing Day, Happy twenty sixth of December, Happy fifth birthday to Triage. Fair play to us. Today is our fifth birthday. Very exciting. Welcome to the party.
1: Okay, this is obviously coming out on tomorrow. Yeah, this is the twenty sixth. So we just both had a. Wonderful, jolly, Holly fucking Christmas. Whatever that song goes like, you know, um, it's quite enjoyable. But we're back to work. We're back to work on Boxing Day. You know, now that I'm, uh, I live in London. I have to say Boxing Day. It's not Saint Stephen's Day. It's it's Boxing Day, which you know I'm a fan of that. I don't mind. I like boxing. Um. But anyway, look, we're not here to talk about this shite and um, what's going on in our lives, etc. You all know what's going on in our lives. It's Christmas time. We're basically having some downtime, planning ahead, like most people, for the new year, planning ahead for you know what we're going to do with our business, with our lives, etc. Right. You know, but also having a little bit of a relax. You know, it's it's Christmas. That's what everyone should be doing. We should be, you know, having a, a nice yeah, relaxing time now obviously some people don't celebrate christmas but even still it's the end of the year so wind down and um, unless obviously you're chinese perhaps then it's not the end of the year for you that's in a couple of months or maybe a month i can't really remember but chinese new year is not the same as western Gregorian calendar new year and um, but anyway look we're not here to talk about that stuff we're here to talk about uh, basically a training masterclass if you will like last week we did a nutrition masterclass we covered all the fundamentals we covered all the basic stuff and today we kind of want to do the same with training so we're going to cover a few things we're going to go through a lot of this relatively quickly I think because while there is actually an extreme amount of nuance here Mm it's has already been covered on the podcast multiple times. And I kind of want this episode to be a little bit of a quick reference for people to be like, okay, well, how should I think about, I don't know, failure, training to failure? You know, I'm just going to be like, here, this is how you think about it. Boom. You don't have to go into all the nuance. However, we have recorded multiple podcasts going you know, deep on, even th- speak, training theory um, that you can go back and listen to. But anyway, Gary, you run the training section in our education hub you look fantastic as well there with your, with your glasses on um you run the training section in our education hub so we're going to get you to discuss the training stuff so we've talked about this before we've done a whole you know podcast series on this before but are we starting at goals is that the thing that we start with people have to be clear on their goals what what, what do you think I think it probably makes sense to be clear on
0: your goals. You know, I think it's a good start for anything in life to have some sort of direction. Um, You can better map out your journey then when you know what direction you're going in. And that's certainly relevant for training. I think that at the, you know, fundamental level, the goals of most people that listen to this podcast are probably to get maybe a bit bigger, maybe a bit stronger, maybe a bit leaner, maybe a bit healthier so that over time, you're a stronger version of yourself, you're lean, but you're a bit more muscular, and you're preserving your health for the long term and the short term in that you feel pretty good each day. You know, There's some pretty reasonable goals, and that's what most people tend to be aiming at. And the reason I give you what most people are aiming at first is because we could go through every single goal individually and talk about the minor changes in training principles that might apply, and we will mention some of those as we go along. But for most people, what you need to do is start off and ask yourself, right, before I consider adopting a specialized training program for a specialized goal, am I taking care of the absolute basics that everyone, in my opinion, should have in place? Okay, you should be able to say yes to that first. And what that means is, being somewhat in alignment with general exercise guidelines or a low tier training program across multiple domains. And what I mean by that is that you're satisfying your aerobic fitness targets or your cardiorespiratory fitness targets, and you're satisfying basic strength and hypertrophy training targets. Okay. So if you consider that and you look at, you know, governing bodies such as the world health organization or the ACSM and so on, you'll see that generally what's recommended is that people are getting somewhere between 150 and 300 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic exercise per week. If you're getting more vigorous intensity exercise, you know, something like, I don't know, more intense boxing or intense running, or, you know, you're playing an intense sport where your heart rate's getting up towards its max, you might need to do a bit less overall time because it's more intense, and that would be considered vigorous exercise. But for most people, aiming for 150 to 300 minutes, that moderate intensity cardiorespiratory exercise is what you're looking at. And that could be going for a hike, you know, a brisk walk, depending on your level of fitness, or it could be a jog or a run or a cycle, or it could even be something like your jiu-jitsu training or football training. Again, it does depend on the intensity and it doesn't need to be exact when you calculate that. But roughly, what you should be looking for is that you're at least meeting somewhere around that 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic exercise per week. If you're doing more vigorous exercise, a little bit less, and that's going to take care of your basic cardiorespiratory fitness for health purposes. So if you've got that in place, then you can consider the more specialized training considerations in that domain. Similarly for resistance training, you want to be getting at least two days of strength exercises um, for most or or all body parts okay so you're maybe doing two days where you're training two to three sets for each muscle group um close enough to failure maybe maybe something between one and four reps from failure that's not necessarily specified in exercise guidelines because it's a bit more complicated for people but that's generally what i'd consider to be a, a low barrier of entry for weight training if you're getting two days a week you know you're training relatively close to failure a couple of sets for each muscle group, um, then I would consider that to be an entry point to weight training. Now, an entry point isn't necessarily going to carry us all the way forward, okay, because when you look at those kind of two domains of cardiorespiratory versus resistance training, obviously there's more to training overall, but they're the basics. If you look at those, you can break them down into various subdomains. For example, if you're interested in the cardiorespiratory side of things, You might be looking to really maximize your aerobic um, fitness for long-term endurance events, for example, um, or long-duration endurance events. Or you might be trying to maximize your anaerobic fitness, you know, for something like repeated short bouts. For example, maybe you're an MMA fighter or uh, a Muay Thai fighter and you need to be able to apply maximal force or maximal effort in bursts and then be able to recover really quickly again you know um that might be what you're interested in so they go the training prescriptions obviously begin to become more and more specialized as you go down each of those respective domains and then as you get into specific sporting activities which is beyond the scope of this podcast from a resistance training perspective for the most part if you're entering the gym you're doing a reasonable rep range, you know, you're not doing just singles or you're not doing just sets of a hundred. Maybe you're doing most of your sets in the five to 20 rep range. Let's say if you're doing that, you're training every muscle group. um, and you're doing that, you know, at least twice per week, you're going to start gaining muscle and you're going to start getting stronger, but you're going to reach a plateau relatively quickly because we don't tend to see many people having success training just twice per week, unless it's a rare circumstance where someone is very restricted for time on other days and they're willing to train for two or three hours plus on those two respective days which is a rare instance Mm -hmm. for the most
1: like most people you could say like say you did train for quite a while you train twice two days per week in terms of resistance training but we would see that more as either just entry level so you're just you know rank beginner or you're in this kind of what we often call a maintenance phase where you're like I want to try to gain a little bit, you know, get a little bit stronger, maybe gain a little bit of muscle, but you're really just maintaining. You're really just maintaining the adaptations that you've already built. And you kind of need to do a little bit more than just younger, two hours of resistance training per week. And like you said, that can either look like, you know, two to three hours on those uh, two days, or what often happens is you just do more days per week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to say there Um, the other instance obviously is if you're someone who's, you know, been training for multiple years and maybe you've taken up another sport um, like I'd kind of put myself in this category where my goals are primarily related to jujitsu or grappling, but I still weight train. You know, there's been periods of time over the last year or so where I'm only training twice per week. And I don't really expect even that level of gain where I'm going to be gaining slowly I'm kind of just expecting that I'm going to maintain my muscle mass. I'm going to maintain my strength, but that's perfectly fine from a health perspective. That's something that's important to emphasize as well is that those basic kind of thresholds for health. It's, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, have built up over a number of years to a very high level of training where you're training five, six days per week, you still might be able to be getting the health benefits from just training twice per week, because it's not like you need to go from a, 160 bench to a 200 bench for health you know there's there's not much to be gained beyond that point so you look great doing it Tom. huh you look great doing it oh yeah for sure and that's all that matters really isn't it psychological well-being but uh yeah so that, that they're the kind of introductory points related to both of those respective domains of training now cardio training is something we've spent a great deal of time talking about on the podcast we did a series about um cardiovascular health we talked about cardiovascular training so i'm not going to go into all the nuances of that here because i think that weight training tends to be what we focus on a bit more and what our listeners tend to be interested in Um, also
1: just on that cardio training is very simplified i shouldn't say very simplistic Mm -hmm. to get right you know it's like it's hard to kind of fuck it up you know the thing the reason most people fuck it up is that they just don't do it exactly yeah and like that that's the thing
0: like getting people to commit to cardio is very difficult especially if it's just from a health perspective because you know if you're trying to just maximize cardiorespiratory health long term and that's your goal then it might literally be as simple as you doing 45 minutes of moderate intensity exercise where you're you know short of breath on a stationary bike super boring you're not trying to maximize performance you're just doing that and you're doing it three four maybe even five times per week getting people to commit to that very difficult one, it's a lot of time. Two, it's boring, okay? So that's why it's actually much easier to adhere to cardio if you're doing it as some sort of either social setting. So for example, going hiking with friends or if it's part of a sporting event where like, for example, with us, with jujitsu, our cardio is taken care of in jitsu, but we're not thinking of it as a cardio challenge when we're there. We're thinking of not getting strangled or strangling our friends, you know? So that's what you're thinking about. So it's very different. And it, you really don't have to complicate it much more than that from a health perspective. If you can get that 150 minutes per week, you're doing a fantastic job. And the vast majority of people aren't getting as much as you. So start with that. You know, If you can get that together for a couple of months, you can start to become a little bit more advanced with Then I generally find that most of my clients don't end up doing that much because we end up pressed for time. So we add in, you know, shorter intervals that are within that vigorous or high intensity end of the spectrum so it's about what you can commit to and if you have more specific sporting goals again that's a different consideration
1: yeah and even just thinking about that like 150 minutes like depending on your fitness level like that could be something as easy as a walk you know Mm -hmm. and like most people they can fit in you know 30 minutes of a walk per day like most people their days are not so back to back that they can't fit in 30 minutes and i don't even mean it has to be continuous 30 minutes it could be 15 minutes in the morning 15 minutes in the evening and you know as a result of that you can pretty pretty well get close to your uh, 150 minutes and obviously not every single day is going to look the same or whatever but you know you can do a pretty damn good job on like very little work
0: absolutely you certainly can so look take care of that get it done and then we we'll move on to the specifics of the resistance training considerations because this is definitely what we get asked about most. I get asked about this all the time because, like, even when I'm coaching clients, one of the things that people have lots of concerns about are the nuances of programming. And you know, I always encourage my clients to ask me questions about why I've made particular decisions. And very often, the answers end up being a little bit underwhelming. I think for some clients because some clients expect there to be very specific reason for every decision that has been made you know that there's going to be some specific prescription that's going to get them the best results when in reality a lot of my decisions end up being quite practical you know that I might have them do one rep range for one exercise and a different rep range for the next because it gives them a bit of novelty it modifies the stimulus a bit it's not necessarily that doing 15 reps after you've done 12 reps is anything special you know um, and I think a lot of people will take those practical concerns or logistical concerns and try to make some sort of mechanistic hypothesis as to why it's superior, but really what they're doing is they're just applying some sort of, you know, post-hoc reasoning as to why they do what they do to make it sound more complicated than it is, so I'm often very honest with my clients and just say, look, not every training decision has to have a specific physiological rationale, because one of the main things we're trying to get people to do is to adhere to their training programs, which is very, very difficult to do, even for those of us who are experienced with training for many years, so when you begin looking at a training program, you have to consider a few different things. Now, some of these are very much interlinked, um, or could even be considered the same thing sometimes. But it's it's worth trying to understand uh, these components anyway, because, for example, like so to, if you look at these two things in comparison, when people think about nutrition, you know the the simple person, the person on the street might just tell you if you want to lose. Lose weight, just eat less. And that's absolutely true. If you, someone's, you know, telling you, or you're asking someone how to, you know, build muscle and get stronger, they might say, go to the gym and just, just train hard. You know, people use to say that all the time, just train hard. But it's like, okay, that, that's actually fine. That will take you to a certain level. But what does that mean? And on the nutrition side of things, we start to break things down into calories, protein, carbohydrates, fats. So we're trying to break down our nutrition and ask ourselves. What are the component parts here and how can I move them to get the best results? And that's effectively what people are trying to do with training as well, where we take that going to the gym and training hard and we ask ourselves, okay, what does that mean? You know? And we break it down into um, volume or sets. So how many sets are we doing for a given muscle group or a given exercise, either per session or per week? Okay, that's generally how we break things down. Just out of convention and simplicity, people can think of things in terms of a week. Um, so that's the first thing. Then people think of intensity. So one could, would be like absolute intensity or how much weight you're lifting. You know, like how much weight you're actually lifting is not generally what we're concerned with. Generally, we're concerned with relative intensity and particularly either the percentage of your one rep max or the RPE or reps and reserve. So effectively, how hard is this weight for you? Are you pushing yourself close to failure? That's the second thing people typically think of, you know, Um, because if you're doing 30 sets, but you're doing it, you know, five reps with 20% of your one rep max, like maybe minor health benefits, but are you going to be getting significantly stronger or bigger from lifting at such a low level of effort? Probably
1: not. That's something to really just remember because you will see people do this where they're like, Oh, I just kind of stick to the same stuff. And they started off lifting, I don't know, whatever, uh, five kilo dumbbell and they'll just stay at that five kilo dumbbell even though they actually have the capacity to do 10 15 even 20 kilos and they're like oh well i'm still doing the same stuff that i was previously doing but right now because you have advanced you are now doing a much lower percentage of your actual like full capacity right and as a result of that yeah you're i'm not going to say don't train you know you're still getting some benefits from that you know especially what do do you want to call it like metabolic health benefits you know from contracting your muscles moving blood glucose etc but it's not going to be the thing that gets you to a stage where you're like oh i'm actually building muscle or i'm actually getting stronger more and more and more each week because you've kind of tapped everything out that you get from those like beginner gains and you're still doing the exact same stuff that you were doing and you see that all the time. Like someone will say, oh, I can, I don't know, squat one plate each side. So 60 kilos overall on the bar. And it's like, yeah. And how long have you been doing that? And they're like, oh, for the last year. it's like, okay, well, we need to do something to move the needle forward. And, you know, there's a few different variables like Gary has been touching on that we can do. Yeah. Maybe you stay at the same reps and the same, you know, relative intensity, but now we're doing more and more sets, you know, we're doing like 20 sets now of this one exercise, but like Gary was saying earlier on, in terms of the practicality, most people are not going to want to do 20 sets of squats in a single workout. Most people are not going to be able to afford that much time between 20 sets of just one exercise in a given workout. So we have to come up with more practical ways of actually advancing our training.
0: Absolutely. So look, very simply from an intensity perspective, we're interested in whether or not someone is taking their Um, training close to the point of failure. We'll add some more nuances to that in a moment, but close to the point of failure is fine for now. The third consideration is frequency. You know, how often are you, well, one, how often are you training? You know, how many sessions per week in total, because that's relevant to your volume, but also, um, and, and this is the context in which people use the term frequency more often, that is how often are you training a particular muscle group or exercise per week? And this is something that's very relevant um i think some people probably take this too far they like worry that you know training a muscle group once per week just isn't enough because they've seen maybe people claim that twice per week is better which is generally true i think but once per week many people have had fantastic results from that and just because something is better doesn't mean that you can't train once per week and what i might do sometimes with clients is maybe there's muscle groups that they've already gotten nailed, you know, they're their best muscle groups, best exercises. And we really want to focus on something else. We might put those muscle groups just once per week. You know, we might put the muscle groups in the middle where they want to develop them, but not as a primary priority twice per week. And then the muscle groups, they want to emphasize the absolute most that they're like, this is really what I want to focus on. We might train that three plus times per week. Okay. So like when you think of frequency, It's not a static recommendation. And again, I'm gonna come back to that um, as we move along. Exercise selection, of course, is a a consideration of, of great importance. And often the good thing here is that proper or good exercise selection can be actually learned through intuition or experience. And what I mean by that is that if you do an exercise and you can turn around after that and say, my God, that chest press, it just lit up my chest, my chest is burning, I got a ruthless pump, none of my joints are aching, it just feels like I train that muscle. You don't need to understand anything else about the mechanics of that exercise, about the range of motion that you used or anything in order to say this is probably an effective chest exercise. I'm probably going to increase the strength um, and muscle mass in my chest if I continue to do this exercise.
1: Or just another way of seeing that as well would be Oh, that muscle group that I was training, that was the one that was the failure point. It wasn't, again, like you said, like your joints or your elbow or whatever else. It wasn't something else other than, again, like in this example, your chest, you do an exercise and you get to that failure point, you're doing it and you're like, it's your chest that is failing. It's not, oh, my triceps are the thing that, you know, my chest still has, you know, 50% left in the tank, but my triceps are giving out or my elbow or my shoulder or whatever else is, you know?
0: Yeah, and you can look at that then from the inverse in terms of like, right, we know that if, if you feel all that, all those positive things, it's probably a good exercise. Then if you don't feel any of those things, you're experiencing just the negatives, then it's probably not a great exercise for you. And people plow on with exercises like that all of the time. You know, they'd like, like, We've done it, Nick. We've done it yeah, 100%. percent they would be like, I've been squatting for four years, okay? I've increased my squat strength, but every time I squat, the limiting factor is my low back, I've got this constant ache in the left side of my low back that's never going away. It gets worse from squatting. And because I keep squatting, it doesn't seem to go away. And, you know, they're, they they do not feel like their quads are getting much of a pump. Their quads haven't really grown. They've gotten a bit stronger, but that wasn't really their primary goal. So clearly that's not a great exercise for that person. And if someone was to use an arbitrary rule of thumb, like barbell exercises are better and squatting deep is better then they've missed out on the, very clear biofeedback that they've been getting to say that maybe this isn't the best exercise for you. So in general, um, using those kind of simple pieces of feedback is a good way to get started with considering the exercise that you're doing. In general, there are like practical rules of thumb where like if you're training a particular muscle, you should feel that muscle working as the primary muscle group. You should also be able to work the muscle through a relatively large range of motion. Um, it's generally a good thing to be able to achieve. It doesn't mean that everyone needs to achieve the same range of motion or that you need to exaggerate how deep you're going at the expense of maybe movement at other joints or the involvement of other muscles. But in general there should be a pretty large and pretty standardized as well range of motion. So you know if you're standing upright with a barrel row and you bend forward just a few inches, you know, from the upright position, kind of just doing a bit of a shrug you know it's it's clearly not the best version of that exercise for the muscles you're trying to work um so in general you want to choose exercises and choose techniques that allow you to use a large range of motion that allow you to feel relatively pain-free while doing that and that the muscle you're training is the one that's stimulated and the one that's becoming the limiting factor there's plenty more nuanced points related to you know resistance profiles and stability um, and X, Y, and Z, but they're beyond the scope of this podcast to go deep on exercise selection. So there's some of the kind of fundamental starting principles. There are other things for sure that are get a bit more into the exercise itself, such as rest periods, for example. In general, you want to have rest periods somewhere between one to three minutes, most of the time between your sets. If your rest periods are too short, that can make you feel like you're getting a better stimulus sometimes. You know, you'll feel your muscles burning more. You'll be more short of breath, probably sweating more. The exercise will feel harder. But generally what ends up happening is that some of those sensory components, like if you're really short of breath and your muscles are already burning, it can limit your ability to push yourself going into that next set. And you're lifting far less weight. You're lifting for far less reps. And you don't have the same commitment to push yourself to failure again because of all of those sensory um, aspects that are making it, you know, clearly unfavorable for you to keep pushing yourself. So, shorter rest periods can be used sparingly, especially when trying to save time or doing exercises where they're generally more isolation-type movements. Towards the end of a workout is when I generally use that. But when you're trying to build strength and you're doing heavy multi-joint compound movements like squats, deadlifts, bench presses, barbell rows, etc. I would very rarely be going anywhere less than a minute to a minute and a half and generally more in the two to three minute range for those strength exercises or even longer if you're doing very low reps. And then for exercises that maybe are somewhere in between the isolation and the heavy, heavy compound exercises, like maybe you're doing a chest press machine for sets of 12 to 15, somewhere between one and two minutes is typically fine. So they're fairly simple recommendations related to rest periods tempo is obviously something that falls into this conversation as well and that's basically the cadence of your repetition and how much time you spend in each respective portion of the repetition there aren't actually hard recommendations related to repetition tempo generally what you see is that reps that take between three and eight seconds per rep tend to leave lead to the same amounts of Muscle hypertrophy, at least in the research that's been done. Now, there might be nuances to that where it's different between different exercises, and I would definitely hypothesize that to be the case. But in general, my rule of thumb for people is that you should be feeling the target muscle working pretty much at every point in the rep. You should feel that you're not bouncing or using extraneous movement to move the weight, and you should feel that at any point in the rep, you're the one controlling it and you could stop the weight. You know, an example of where you might contrast a, a good and a bad case of that will be on a bench press. I'm sure you, if you're listening, you've seen people in the gym, drop the barrel from the top, smacks off their sternum. You know, you're almost waiting to hear the crack of their ribs and then they bounce it back up and they manage to get the weight up. But if you ask yourself, could they have brought that weight to a controlled pause and still lift the weight? It's very, very unlikely that they could have. So they weren't really in control throughout the rep and the bounce that they got off their sternum and the lack of muscular work that was done on the way down was what contributed them to be able to actually perform that repetition. So in general, you should be controlling the descent of your reps or eccentric portion in particular. Some exercises you'd want to add a pause in the bottom or stretched position. Okay. It's obviously the top, if it's like a lap pull down or something like that, but, some exercises where, especially those where it's very easy to use a bounce, you want to pause in that stretch position. And also, there's exercises where you're trying to emphasize the training stimulus in that stretch position. An example of that would be like the bench press, for example. If you know that you're very keen on bouncing off your chest, practicing pause reps can be really, really helpful. Similarly, if you're always bouncing at the bottom of your squats and then you lose your positioning, practicing pause squats can be really helpful. Again, if you're trying to, maybe from a sporting perspective, if you're trying to emphasize the length and range of hamstring strengthening, if you're doing your seated leg curls, your Romanian deadlifts, you might want to pause in the stretch position to really focus on that specific training adaptation. So there are some examples of where tempo becomes relevant. It doesn't have to be super, super slow, but it shouldn't be super fast either. So somewhere in general between three seconds and eight seconds per rep is probably a good idea. So, if you find yourself in the gym doing a set of 10 and it's only taking you 10 to 15 seconds, you probably want to slow that down a bit. And one of the ways you can do that is to start timing your sets. Some people do that, and that can be actually a, a really nice way of, of standardizing the stimulus that you're applying.
1: So, so that's people probably will get a like metronome things in their yeah. like, ears, you know, it's like so they hear the tick, 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 tick. Yeah, I don't go that far. But just uh before we move on, um, I always say to clients, I'm like, Look, you should be in charge. You are the one that's in charge. The weight that you put on the bar, the fucking whatever machine you're using, that that's not in charge. You are the one in charge. If you are in charge, why are you letting this weight abuse you? <laughs> like, why are you letting this weight like bounce off you? You know, you weren't in charge in that turn of direction. And that's not to say, again, like you always have to be the one in charge. Some exercises you're going to want a little bit of a bounce. There might be some reasons between or for the particular way you perform an exercise. But if you're going to make a rationale for a certain way to perform an exercise, you have to be very clear on why you're doing that. You know, like it's not necessarily the best practice to do. Again, the best practice here is you should be in charge. Uh, An example, like we've discussed before, and we've heard before, can't actually remember where we heard it, um, But like when you think of doing an exercise, you should be thinking of it in terms of those end ranges of motion. It's like reversing your car into it. You know, you're just reversing into that position and then you're coming back out. Like you wouldn't reverse or even drive into that position in sixth gear and expect it to be perfect. Like it's just not going to happen. You're going to ease into that position. And it's the same with exercise here. You're going to get into, oh, you're in this very length and range position. We should be easing into it. You should be in control. You should be in charge throughout the movement and then go forward from there
0: yeah absolutely and i mean like sometimes people will say like that oh it it, it just doesn't matter you know once you're going like to the same level close to failure using the same weights it doesn't matter you know what your tempo is people will say that you know it's there's no increased risk of injury or anything but i mean an easy way to kind of i guess debunk that through experience is try out jujitsu let someone put a a, a kimura or some sort of arm lock on you and ask them to do it slowly or do it super quickly and crank it on and see which one makes the
1: easiest way to see that in the jujitsu context would be just an armor straight arm bar. yeah would you rather someone jumped and got you into an armbar or would you rather someone just slowly lean back into an armbar i know i'll fucking one i would rather
0: <laughs> and that's the exact same with weight training because what you have to remember with weight training as well is like there is always the risk of, you know, you failing a rep and different exercises carry different risk. So if you bounce into the bottom of a squat and you're coming and all that weight is clattering down on your knee joints and you're unable to lift the weight up, like that weight is accelerating towards the floor. So that's going to be like leading to massive increases in forces at that point. And if you're unable to get up, then you're not really in control anymore. It's very easy to get injured. Whereas if you've come down really slowly and you're like, right, I'm not actually going to finish this rep. I'm, I'm failing. You've got a bit of time to think about dumping the bar and throwing yourself forward. And you haven't let that massive spike in forces occur. So you're probably going to experience a lower risk of injury, either in the short term or long-term, if you're controlling your repetitions, I think that's a pretty reasonable statement. So they're kind of some of the overall big picture um, and little picture considerations as to what the training variables are for, for setting up a training program. There are like longer term considerations like how you progress your sessions, how you periodize over time, but they're kind of beyond the scope of, of what I wanna cover, at least in this segment. What I'd like to circle back to is just, as I said, I'd come back to discussing the volume, intensity, frequency stuff. So volume is something that's interesting. Because many people try to quantify volume in some way and i think that the more specific you are here it may make you look more scientific and technical but it actually makes you even kind of less accurate and less effective because what people will try to do here is they'll you know use what's referred to as volume load and what that means is that you multiply the weight you lifted by the reps you did um or or by the the sets by reps or just the total amount of reps that you did. So for example, if I did 10 sets of 10 at 40 kilos on a bench press, that would be 4,000. That's right, yeah, 4,000 kilos worth of volume. But the problem with that is that me doing 40 kilos and someone else who just started in the gym doing 40 kilos and their one rep max is 50 kilos, does that sound like the same training stimulus? No, of course it's not because the proximity to failure is vastly different. So as a result, what we'll often try to do is just consider volume or number of sets in terms of you know, the, the, them being challenging. So if someone's somewhere between one and four reps from failure, you know, that's, a, that's a challenging enough set, okay? or zero to four reps from failure. It's a challenging enough set. Sometimes five reps from failure, maybe even a little bit more, can still be challenging, but we're just trying to create sound heuristics. I think most people are going to be somewhere between zero and four reps from failure in most of their sets if they're taking their training seriously. Now, exceptions to that might be a rehab focused set, where you're just maybe trying to get a very small amount of exposure, or you're trying to work in your technique, and you can count those a little bit differently. But for the most part, people can consider one set to be a set that, took them pretty close to failure okay and in general per muscle group you want to be doing somewhere between 10 and 20 sets per week for those muscle or for uh, each muscle group you can go north of that for sure and generally when I do that with clients it would be those who have more time to train and have specialized muscle groups they'd like to work and What I find to be very effective, much like the, what I mentioned previously related to frequency is stratifying volume in accordance with the person's priorities. So for example, if you're trying to work your shoulders and really focus on shoulders, then we might say, right, especially if you've been training for a few years, why don't we do 25 sets for shoulders per week? Like a lot of volume. We might start at 20 on week one, work up to 25 on week four, week six or whatever, but we're not going to keep, chest and back and legs all at that level of volume as well all you might do is say right your chest is actually your strongest body part so we're only going to do 10 sets a week for chest your back and your legs they're kind of in the middle so let's do 15 okay so we're taking that broad range of 10 to 20 we're staying at the lower end of that for our muscle groups that are well trained and then we're not prioritizing at the moment We're going in the middle for those muscle groups that are maybe, you know, we want to keep improving them, but we're fairly satisfied with them. And then we're going 20 or more for those muscle groups that we really want to focus on or that are lagging behind and we just need to bring them up. So you can see that there's clearly a a, a hierarchy that you're creating and you're prioritizing accordingly. You can't expect to prioritize everything. Okay. So if you're trying to just say, right, you know, I want to maximize my muscle mass. So I'm going to go 25 to 30 sets for everything. The problem with that is that you end up excessively sore. You end up with increased recovery demands, potentially running along that overtraining spectrum to some degree. And the more fatigue you accumulate for other muscle groups, the more others are, um, are going to suffer. So if you're super fatigued from a chest training session, you're probably not going to get the same out of your shoulder training session the next day because there's crossover fatigue both systemic and local in the joints that have been trained. So they're the types of things you have to consider when you're thinking of your overall training volume. Generally, when people hear 10 to 20, they hear 20, okay? They don't hear 10. They don't want to hear the bottom of the range. They want to go right to the top. And I would just encourage you to avoid that urge as much as as you can, because it's actually a lot more valuable if you can stick to a training program that has 10 to 15 sets per muscle group per week and you've never stuck to a program before, and you're putting in great effort, Great effort. you've chosen great exercises, your technique is spot on. If you're doing all those things for the first time, you've got gains to be made. And one of the things you run into as you push volume higher is your training motivation might be lacking a bit. Your training sessions are taking longer, you're not as excited going to the gym, you're more sore, potentially higher risk of injury. So you're basically taking the positive things that you were experiencing at the lower end um, that you'd finally stuck to, And you're adding all the negative things that come with doing too much training. So don't jump right to that. I would encourage you not to. There's a relationship as well between training volume and frequency, because I mentioned frequency previously, and I said something similar to what I said about volume, where you might just train a muscle group of low priority once per week, moderate priority twice per week, and high priority three plus times per week. And one of the reasons we do that is because, you know, training a muscle group more frequently might, um, be a bit more beneficial in and of itself, you know, more exposures when you're fresh, for example. But one of the other things is that it is actually a vehicle for higher levels of volume. Okay. So it's kind of like if you're trying to eat more calories, you're not just going to do eat 4,000 calories in one meal. Okay. It's going to be pretty uncomfortable. Whereas if you take that 4,000 calories and you split it across four meals per day, it's probably a bit easier, probably a bit easier than even doing it across two meals, It's similar with volume. If you're taking that high priority muscle group and you're trying to do 25 sets per week, then doing something like eight sets Monday, eight sets Wednesday, nine sets Friday is probably going to be easier to distribute that volume than trying to do 25 sets at once in a given session. Because although you'll still benefit more than if you just did eight, let's say, in a given session, there's diminishing returns especially as you go beyond maybe eight, 10, 12 sets per week. And you've probably experienced that yourself where if you've done, you know, five sets of lateral raises already, like by the time you get to the eighth, 10th, 12th set, like let's say you're just doing one exercise, are you still gonna get the same benefit from that? Probably not because your joints are starting to ache. You've been using the same movement pattern, same muscles, same joints and you're just gonna find yourself giving up a little bit sooner and you're not getting that same benefit, you're not as strong, you're not pushing yourself close to failure anymore. So as a rule of thumb, I would try to use frequency as a vehicle for volume, meaning that if I'm gonna do a higher level of volume, I'll use a higher level of frequency as well to facilitate that, with overall the average frequency being something around twice per week. Another caveat there as well is related to strength and specific movements where higher frequencies allow you to develop skill a bit better. So sometimes what I'll do with clients is if they're really focused on developing maximal strength in a given lift, we might have various levels of intensity across the week. So they might have a third day where they're squatting, you know, even though that's a very difficult exercise to do three times per week, but the third day might just be, Uh, a technique-focused day or a speed-focused day where we're just kind of going through the motions and grading the movement pattern, um, trying to focus on accelerating, but we're not taking it close to failure. So you can see that as you move towards more specific goals, you might deviate from the kind of average recommendations that we make a bit, such as going three plus times with frequency or staying further from failure for skill purposes. But on average, if you're doing 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week, You're hitting an average frequency of twice per week. Most of your sets are between zero and four reps in reserve or reps from failure. Um, You're choosing exercises that are effectively targeting the muscles that you are trying to train in the absence of creating further joint pain. For example, if you're doing all of that and you're controlling your reps and you've got moderate rest periods, mostly within the one to three minute range, you're doing a, a fantastic job,
1: I think. 100% 100% I, I actually think that pretty much covers everything but what I want to do even though you, you, you kind of did effectively recap all of it there and um, what I want to do is like just kind of quick fire you've got this generic oh I want to just create a program you know generic program I want to get a bit bigger you know the diet's mainly controlling you know body composition but you know, I want to get a little bit leaner so I want to put myself in a bit of health or a bit of health a better health position I want to be you know achieve the goals that most people want to do right so quick fire here let's assume again first of all goals are set they're the kind of goals we've just done you've assessed what you want to do the time available that you have etc etc right but they come to you generic program here right where do we start with reps is there a particular rep range that we're going to say is better for strength is there a particular rep range that's better for hypertrophy is there a better range for i don't know endurance what are we doing quick fire here Yes. With reps, generally from a strength perspective,
0: if you're trying to work on maximal strength, you want to have exposure to the one to five rep range. Okay, probably not necessary for other goals, but one to five reps, you should get some exposure um, at least once per week on the exercises that you're trying to maximize um, strength in. And generally, again, that's going to be within that reps and reserve range of maybe zero to four Typically, if I'm having someone exposed to singles, you know, or even one to three reps, I'm not gonna be going less than two reps from failure very often um, because it's very fatiguing to do that. But you do want to be getting exposure at least one, once per week, if not more, to one to five um, reps on the exercise you're most focused on. If you're doing if you're aiming at muscle building, then what you're gonna do is stick mainly. To maybe six to twenty reps most of the time, it is somewhat exercise specific in that some exercises just lend themselves for practical and sometimes anatomical or physiological reason reasons to different rep ranges. So, for example, if you're doing a machine and it's not very well oiled and maybe it's not exactly fitting with your body, then doing that for very low reps for very heavy weight probably isn't going to feel so good. But those issues in how that machine is aligned they kind of get washed out if you're just doing lighter weights and higher reps so it's a bit more comfortable to do that that's just a practical concern but six to 20 reps in general is what i would do and like from a practical perspective what i see, think works really well a lot of the time is that if you take the start of your workout to be a bit more strength focused maybe you're doing sets of six to eight and then the middle of your workout you're doing like 10 to 15 and then the end of the workout you might finish with 15 to 20 reps I found that to be something that, you know, it's been carried forward through convention and people have hypothesized that, oh, this is optimal because of these different mechanisms over time. But I think realistically, it's just pretty practical. I think that people are in a good position at the beginning of their workout to focus on heavier stuff. And by the end of the workout, maybe your one of your joints has been aching a bit or you're just not psychologically as into the workout anymore. Going for some lighter stuff and focusing on the pump or the burn tends to work pretty well. And then finally, for muscular endurance, muscular endurance is, is something that is almost always trained with reference to a particular goal, okay? So when someone says they want to improve their muscular endurance, it's often because maybe they're into cycling or they're into maybe even, even jiu jitsu or other activities where you have to hold isometric contractions, for example, for long periods of time. So for those types of goals... I I actually don't just view it in terms of reps, but also in terms of time. So it might be that someone works muscular endurance even with just 10 to 20 reps, but they might do really long reps, you know, so they might be doing six to 10 seconds per rep. And if you do 10 of them, you're talking up to, you know, a minute to two minutes plus of uh, work that's done. Or you could just very simply be looking at somewhere between 20 and 40 rep sets. And that's something that I do program. It's something I do myself as well. Uh, and, and what I would do in those cases, if you're using muscular endurance type of training, is really ask yourself, what are the muscles that I need to have great endurance in? You know, Because, for example, with uh, jujitsu, let's say, if you're or grappling, it's, it's actually more so the upper body muscles that you probably want to have the best muscle endurance in because and also maybe your core because you need to be able to hold isometric contractions if you're holding someone if you're gripping etc whereas the legs mm, like maybe your adductors but you don't really need the same level of muscle endurance um, for the most part anyway so you have to consider the specific sporting activity that you're interested in obviously if you're a cyclist or something like that it's the lower body muscles that you're focused on so I wouldn't have someone go to the gym and do you know, just loads of sets of 20 to 40 for the entire workout because it's actually really difficult. Um, it's fatiguing in a different way, but still super fatiguing and similar to the fatigue you're going to experience if you're doing like heavy powerlifting training. It's just different qualitatively, but very similar like quantitatively. And if, if you ask someone um, how they feel after a set of, you know, 30 on squats, if you generally genuinely go into failure, you're going to be feeling horrible and probably for the rest of the day very similar to how someone if they work up to a true round max they feel horrible okay so they're both very disruptive yes in different ways but both still very fatiguing and that's why most often when we make generic recommendations we say that most of your sets should be between the 6 and 20 repetition range because although you still can be absolutely fatigued from going close to failure at the extremes there's just some different, different physiological concerns um, that can make that a little bit more demanding overall. Um, so yeah, that's all the reps.
1: You, that was a nice quick fire answer. Uh, <laughs> uh, sets then, how many are we doing? Are we sticking to what you said? 10 to 20 and then kind of that 15 to 25 if we're trying to bring a body part up?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say uh, 8 to 12, low priority okay, or even six to 12 for low priority muscle groups or beginners, 12 to 20 for moderate priority muscle groups or people who have been training for a few years. And then for the high priority muscle groups, somewhere between 20 and 30 with the top of that end, especially being reserved for those who are more advanced and who have already spent a great deal of time trying to address um, those weak muscle groups and that this is their kind of last resort to be doing, you know, 10 sets, 10 hard sets, three times per week. Cause that's tough. If you're genuinely being honest with yourself, it's tough to do it, uh, especially for larger muscle groups, like you're doing 10 hard sets for quads per week um, or three times per week. It's tough going. So make sure you've exhausted other resources first.
1: 100%. And then progression methods. I know we kind of briefly went over this and, um, like, again, we're not going to spend too long on it because we only have a few to really focus on. Um, but what progression methods are we looking at? Are we looking at just really adding weight to the bar? That's our main progression method. Are we talking about adding reps? Because I know people do that. Um, are we talking about adding sets? And then as you've covered, like tempo, are we talking about you know adding more like time under tension? What do we see? Like what what do you see as the the kind of again this generic person? What's the best methods here?
0: Yeah, so when you're writing a training program, let's say it's six weeks in duration for this block of training, then what I would typically encourage you to do is have ascending effort, okay, in, in as one of your elements. And what I mean by that is on week one, staying three to four reps from failure, let's say. Week two, you might be two to three. Week three, two to three again. Week four, two reps. Week five, one to two. On week six, then you're taking yourself pretty much to failure or maybe one rep from failure. So what you're doing there is you are going to be increasing the weight on the bar and you're doing that consistently throughout the block of training, or at least that's most likely, but you're not forcing it. So you're not saying, um, I'm going to, you know, go from like, you take a weight that you hit failure on, on week one, and then add five kilos, because that's beyond the expected rate of progression. Whereas if you're already increasing the effort that you're applying each week, um, then you would expect that the weights will be increasing naturally, even if you gain zero strength. But generally, you're gonna be gaining strength along with that, so you'll be a little bit ahead. And what I typically do then, is that as you go into the next six week block of training, you start back at three to four reps from failure, but maybe the weight is five kilos heavier at the beginning cause you've actually gotten stronger during that period of time. So I think that works really well, that ascending effort type of approach it's something i've gravitated towards more and more over time especially because what it allows for is you entering a new program without being extremely sore on the first week because you're leaving a little bit in the tank another thing that works well along with that is starting with slightly less sets and finishing the block with slightly more sets so for example you might start um, with three sets of bench press in the first workout and maybe on week four you increase to four four sets and maybe if you're really focusing on it even going up to five sets and um, to increase your volume as you get towards the, the sixth uh, week of that training program. That's something that can work quite well because basically what you've got then if you use those two things together you've got a natural increase in the overall stimulus because you've increased the sets, you've got an increase in the stimulus because you're increasing your effort and then you've most likely got an increase in the weight lifted on the bar relative to where you started because of that increase in effort. And then what we aim for is that when you start the next block, the same level of effort as per week one is now carried out at a heavier weight because you've gained true strength. And for the most part, we're going to be taking those numbers of sets back down to where we started last time, unless we found that we've maybe troubleshooted a problem. An example of that would be where you were previously only ever doing eight sets for chest and you were never making progress, and you bumped it up further, and then you started to make progress, either, you know, aesthetically, or through measurements, or through um, strength in the gym, then you'd say to yourself, right, I actually needed that increase in volume, so I'm going to keep that going forward, you know. Um, So that's that's generally how I would view progression.
1: Fantastic. And then you, you did kind of touch on it there in terms of your actual progression model, but how close to failure are we going to be?
0: So in, in general, um, starting your, your training program, assuming it's maybe four to eight weeks in duration, somewhere between two to four reps in the tank on week one, um, lower end of that for more isolation or low fatigue exercises, the higher end, so maybe like three, four reps in reserve for heavier, more challenging, more fatiguing exercises, such as your deadlifts, your squats, etc. And then throughout the course of the training program, you'll aim to finish hitting close to failure especially on isolation exercises or lower fatigue exercises you can take those to failure by the end of the block and maybe leaving a rep in the tank and squats for example even just for safety purposes but towards the end of the training program i want someone to be really testing their performance but at the beginning that's not the goal
1: fantastic and then is
0: there a generic tempo that we're looking for yeah for the most part i think what i end up putting in a lot of programs is something like Three seconds down, one seconds up. Okay, so three or one or something like that. If it's an exercise like I discussed previously, where the bottom of the exercise is very easy to cheat at, you know, it's very easy to bounce, then I might have a pause in there as a standard. But in general, lower the weight for about three seconds, um, lift it as explosively as you can while maintaining your positioning, and you're probably going to be good.
1: Fantastic. And then frequency. How often are we training a body part? For- and or an exercise. Yeah.
0: Average twice per week, three plus for muscle groups or exercises that are really your focal points, and maybe once for those that you're leaving on the back burner. Remember that having a focal point necessitates that there's some sort of hierarchy. You can't call everything your focal point. So for example, if you're training for strength, you don't want to squat and bench and deadlift and overhead press and heavy barrel roll three times per week, along with everything else that you're doing. However, if you're focusing more on squats during this training block, you might have three squat days in there, but that might mean that you pull deadlift back to once to allow for that additional um, recovery and then keep bench maybe a twice per week.
1: And then cardiovascular training, where are we starting with this and what's the, the, the foundation we'll say?
0: Yeah. So although, like I said, try to get one fifty. what I say to people is like, Let's start with 90 minutes. If you can get 90 minutes of continuous moderate intensity exercise per week, and you can repeat that consistently, then start there. Then bump to 120, then bump to 150. And once you're there, you're good. Because what you have to realize is that a lot of the time when these exercise guidelines are considered, we're looking at the effective amount of aerobic exercise kind of independent of a hard resistance training program. So if you're training for health, and you're doing, you know, five hard resistance training sessions per week, there's still cardiovascular contributions to that. It's just that it's not necessarily that specific type of training. So start at 90, maybe even 60 to 90, if you're already doing loads of weight training and then try to bump it up over time and see what you can commit to. Because the thing is with that as well is that when it's a novel stimulus, it might seem really fatiguing. So it might seem like doing that much cardio is just impossible for you. But as you adapt to it and it becomes easier and it's part of your routine, 90 minutes a week, 120 minutes per week, it's not that big a deal anymore. Especially what I say to people is that if you have the option, you know, if you have an exercise bike at home or something, make that like your morning routine. You wake up in the morning, 30 minutes on the bike, have your shower, have your coffee, boom, out the door to work or whatever it is that you're doing. It's actually a really nice way to get it out of the way. Um, but it doesn't work for everyone, of course.
1: And is there a particular heart rate zone that you would be like, oh, this is where we should be at?
0: Yeah, I think for the most part, if you're be between like 120, 130 and 160 is, is where you want to be. Um, I'll often summarize that as like 130 to 150. That's like the middle of the range. And then like plus or minus 10, either end of that um, is fine because there is variation in heart rate response. I have one client and his heart rate, like he, he'd be, he, from my perception, if I was watching him exercise, it would seem that he's at, um, you know, 120 or so but he's actually up at like 180, you know, it doesn't look like he's working that hard, but his heart rate is just a bit more responsive. I've had that with some clients and the inverse where clients are working at a high perceived level of effort, but the heart rate actually isn't that high. And that of course becomes complicated if someone's on um, different blood pressure medications or atrial fibrillation medications, or um, if they already have a high baseline level of stress or they're taking a lot of caffeine or stimulants. So that's why I give a broad range. somewhere between 120 and 160, and from a practical perspective, you should be short of breath, okay? So you should feel like you're short of breath, but not gasping. You should be able to, if someone was on the treadmill next to you or on the bike next to you, you'd hold them a light conversation. You know, if they asked you a question, you'd be able to answer them with a full sentence, um, but you wouldn't be able to, like, sing a song or something. That's the classic thing that people say.
1: And then just to finish up the podcast, um, thoughts on stretching because i know this is again the thing that people are like oh i must add stretching into my program where are we starting with that are we including it what's the the 30 second answer
0: yeah from my perspective stretching can be useful especially for those who have specific goals if you're a grappler if you're doing taekwondo if you're a ballerina if you're a dancer if you need to have high levels of joint range of motion then there might be a benefit to you actually prioritizing stretching. However, if you haven't taken care of the other things that we've discussed in this podcast, it's very unlikely that stretching is going to offer much from a health perspective or from a performance perspective unless there's a specific sporting movement that you're unable to carry out that's solely um, affected by your joint range of motion at the moment. Otherwise, there's so much else to be done to gain health benefits, to gain performance benefits, to look better, to get stronger. I I just don't see a benefit in people spending a lot of time stretching.
1: Yeah, and most people seem to get a benefit in terms of stretching, in terms of what they're looking for from stretching, by just doing resistance training. You You know, just actually moving through the ranges of motion that they should be moving through, you know, under load as well, but even just like body weight stuff and everything. All of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't actually have tight hamstrings anymore. I don't have a tight lower back or tight lats or whatever it is, purely because... They got that a little bit stronger. They were doing movements that you know got them into a stretch position and it's all good, you know? Anyway, that is it for today. Um, do you have anything else to say, Gary? Anything you wanna wrap up on and otherwise close us out? No, that's all good. We're
0: gonna close it out here. And look, obviously guys, the nature of this time of year, um, it's our busiest part of the year or years, which is fantastic. So we're heading into January. It's um, you know the busiest time for the fitness industry. A lot of people are going to be either committing their fitness vows for the first time or renewing their vows. you know Some of you might have been slipping a little bit uh, completely understandably over the last two years. maybe you haven't been as disciplined, your training hasn't been on point. And now that maybe you see a hint of normality being offered to you on the carrot stick, you might be saying, right, I'm going to get back in the game. I'm going to start prepping my meals again. I'm going to start getting to the gym more often. So if that's you, um, we do have coaching uh, that we offer. All of our coaches have spaces available for clients at the moment. Um, We're currently making a number of changes to our coaching processes. As we head into 2022 to hopefully improve the client experience so if you want to get involved and start to you know improve your commitment to the process improve the results you get from that commitment then you can work with us at triage and you'll find the information listed in the description box below of course we also put out a lot of free information if you just want to consume more of that so i would recommend that you follow us on instagram at the very least Um, if there's anything else that I haven't mentioned, you'll see it on Instagram, you know, that's when we will let you know about uh, different content that's been released, whether it's videos, podcasts, or new posts that we shared on Instagram, et cetera. So just follow us there. And I think you'll keep up with everything else that way.
1: Fantastic. Anyway, I have nothing else to see, uh, see say. I hope everyone enjoyed their Christmas and I hope everyone has a fantastic new year. Yes.